Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. Uh, Let's get ready to rumble! Welcome to Opera Box Score. Wherever you are, however you're listening, hey, thanks for joining us. I'm your host, George Cedarquist, joined this week by creative consultant Oliver Camacho. We are America's talk radio show about opera, period. No one talks with you about opera week in, week out like we do. And what's more on our show, you get to have your say live on the air. Give us a call, 847-866-WNUR. That's 847 866 9687, or you can leave us a message, 224-2189-BOX. Again, 224-218-9269. Well, this week, we go inside the huddle with Nick Heyman, a stage manager from England who's worked at the Royal Opera House in London in the West End and on tour throughout the UK and the US. Don't miss what he has to say when I ask him, isn't stage management the least sexy thing in opera? And then in our Chalk Talk segment, we reveal a recent slate of opera productions whose violence and sexual content have forced their producers to issue warnings to ticket buyers, lest they be offended by what they see. I'll ask Oliver if maybe opera should be given ratings, just like the movies. Plus, we've got all your opera headlines in the two-minute drill. So, let's do this. We are live. No edits, no filters. Kickoff is next. And keep it locked right here, right now on WNUR-FM Evanston, Chicago, and Opera Box Score. Listening to Opera Box Score with George Cedarquist, Oliver Camacho, Tobias Wright, and Giovanna Jacques. Happy Monday, everybody. George Cedarquist here hosting Opera Box Score. This went in your ear holes. And we have got a great show for you tonight. Just a great, great, great show. It's just me in the studio right now, actually. Tobias Wright is taking the night off. Giovanna Jacques was held up on the way to the studio. She's got some stuff she got to take care of. Oliver Camacho also held up in traffic, I think. Just me rolling right now. I'm feeling very Howard Stern right now uh, without the swearing. Of course, we do have a great show for you tonight. We're going to get right to it. Nick Heyman, uh, I went inside the huddle with him back in June, I think it was. Uh, he's an old friend of mine. He's a stage manager from London. He has done pretty much everything, every genre you can do in stage management. He has done opera. He has done musical theater. He's done straight theater. He's been on tour. Uh, he, he really has done it all. And I sat down with him and recorded a little segment. He also has played a lot of hockey, uh, and he has been a hockey, ice hockey referee. He has been a school teacher. He just got married. It's like, what doesn't this guy do? Uh, This is probably going to be the most inside look at stage management you're ever going to hear. 16 minutes. Here's my interview with Nick Heyman. 
and an old friend of mine. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Nick. Thank you. You are a stage manager. Isn't that like the least sexy thing in opera? Oh, it's 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 by far the sexiest thing in opera. <laughs> Why is stage management sexy? It, it isn't sexy. Uh, it isn't sexy. This is this is what we like to pretend. It's 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 not the it's not the sense you're using it in. Okay, but opera is the most fun I've had as a stage manager. Mm-hmm. Not all of the time, but in terms of the 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 actual process, it's the thing I enjoyed most doing. I mean, I've spent 10 years as a working stage manager. Uh, I've done, been very lucky to do a lot of different things, uh, mostly in the UK, some international things. I've uh, worked at very small scales, just sort of me in a van with a few actors uh, and a set mostly made out of cardboard. And I've gone up to very large-scale opera um, in really, really huge and wonderful opera houses. I think the, the thing I enjoy most about working in opera and the reason I always kind of feel it would be lovely to be doing some opera right now if I'm not is that it just combines so many different skills so you have all of the production side that you get in theatre you have the singers doing an incredibly difficult technical task while doing all the things that actors do Uh, you have the conductor you have the repetiteurs you have all of the musical input it just feels like there's so much going into it, so many things that need to be balanced. It's, it's just a very exciting place to be in an opera rehearsal room. Doesn't it frustrate you that stage managers are like the unsung heroes of this business? No. No, it doesn't because you don't actually get into doing most of the backstage jobs for the acclaim i mean it's it's nice to be told you've done a good job but it is one of those jobs where if people see you you it's not going well if you i mean my ideal show is one that no one ever knows i'm there um to use a sporting analogy it's like being the referee you you, you if you're the focus of attention then you're not doing your job properly the ideally everyone should just forget you're there and everything should happen beautifully and smoothly and they just watch the players You've worked at Covent Garden in London. You've worked at Opera North, which is in Leeds, Leeds yeah. right? Uh, you've worked with English Touring Opera. You've mm-hmm. done a show in the West End as well. Shoes. It was, yes. It, it, techni- I mean, the West End is a funny beast. It's technically, um, it was at Sadler's Wells when I was doing it, which is geographically in the West End, but not. It's it's, it's one of those off-Broadway kind of mm-hmm. things. Um, it was also crap. It was also <laughs> Awful. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm sure I'm, it's okay to say that at this point. It was appalling. It was, it was a very interesting experience for me because that was the first time I'd ever worked with audiovisual stuff and a, a huge amount of uh, work going into that. And that was the kind of classic, the, the, the kind of nightmarish flip side of the opera rehearsal room where hopefully everybody is kind of pulling in roughly the same direction, even though they're coming from very different points. Mm-hmm. Um, working on, on that particular show, we had... Uh, someone creating content who was a film director, an animated film director, who was an absolutely brilliant man with a whole kind of room full of clever people on, with Macs and tablets creating beautiful images, but worked on the basis that there were infinitely extendable deadlines. Uh, so we were we were teching with stuff which was just placeholding, really. Um, I was working with projectionist and AV person who, again, was brilliant but came from the events industry where things only had to happen right once mm-hmm. so you could cut corners in a way you you shouldn't cut corners in a long-running show on the grounds that 
the longer you run a show, the more things can go wrong. Um, the, the classic example is Phantom of the Opera in the West End, where it's been running for over 25 years, and pretty much anything that feasibly could go wrong has now gone wrong. Mm-hmm. So they, they are extremely good at handling things because they've, they've seen literally everything that can happen. Speaking of things going wrong, you've worked at Glyndebourne as well. Please tell me that even in these big venues like Glyndebourne and Covent Garden, things still go wrong. Oh, absolutely. All the time. What's the nightmare? Or what was the nightmare for you? I was kind of fortunate at Glyndebourne in the sense that I was working on some relatively straightforward shows. Um, This was in 2007, their summer season, so they had... um, Nick Heitner's production of Cosi, which I worked on, which is pretty straightforward standing set, more or less. Uh, we had, at the complete opposite end of the spectrum, Chenna Rentler, the Peter Hall production, which was not massive by opera standards, but complicated. Lots of fairly old-fashioned stagecraft that can go terribly wrong. Now, I didn't work on that. I did watch it from the wings, so I saw, saw how very complicated it was. Um Turn of the Screw, which was the Jonathan Kent production, which I think is is really part of their repertoire now and is a lovely production. That was part of the season. I did work on that. That was one of those shows where they'd done it so many times by that point that, again, they had a fairly good grasp of it. But you can imagine the first run must have been nightmarish. Um, I mean, nothing particularly difficult happened with me at Glyndebourne. At the Opera House, uh, there were a few really hairy moments. I worked on the Philip Lloyd production of Macbeth. Uh, which Verdi. The Verdi Macbeth. Mm-hmm. In fact, the uh, the later version of mm-hmm. the, the two, which uh, has a lot of automation, some of which went quite badly wrong. It also has a lot of children involved. And in a building the size of the Opera House, when you have a 100-plus chorus, when you have children, when you have dancers wearing horse costumes, um, the amount of traffic backstage is incredible. And if people are late coming on for an entrance you have some real issues especially children so uh, there were some hairy moments in terms of call the children right now (laughs) you also worked with english touring opera touring is not a huge money maker in this country it's not really much of an art form in this country i would argue but in england because of the size of the country it's actually quite different what kind of special challenges does touring give to stage management in opera yes um well, I mean, I would say it challenges everybody the whole time, really. Every department um, from uh, all the production departments, the musicians. I mean, English touring opera is in a kind of mid-scale touring, uh, what we would refer to as mid-scale. So you're talking about venues which seat maybe two to... Th- maybe up to 2,000, um, an absolute maximum. Now, Opera North... That sounds has, huge, by the way, 2,000. Right, yeah. Well, um, it's, again, a lot of the theatres in, in regional theatres in Britain, that's kind of the standard size. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, ma- ma- that, that's probably on the large size for mid, to be fair. Uh, English, English touring opera, as I say, is the mid-scale. Opera North and Scottish Opera and the other companies which work, which are regional opera companies, their remit really is touring. Uh, And as you say, it's much more achievable in a country which you can drive from one end to the other in about 10 hours. Uh, So 
in Opera North, for example, which uh, is based in Leeds, will then go to Newcastle, will go to Nottingham, will go to Hull. None of these are journeys that are going to take you more than about two to three hours. And they are working in much larger venues, so you may be up to three, four thousand seater. Um, and it is it is a difficult job. Um, it's difficult for the singers because the acoustics change the whole time. Their view of the conductor changes the whole time. Monitor arrangements change the whole time. It's uh, difficult for production staff because you can go, especially on the mid-scale, to very different venues. Um, some of them will not have flying, for example. So if your show involves large amounts of flying, then that will be an issue. Um, some of them will not have much in the way of comms equipment because they're, they're more concert venues. That That's happened a few times uh, with English touring opera. When you get the job for the first time... What's the first thing you're looking at when you read the libretto or when you listen to the recording or when you look at the score? If if those are the first things mm. that you do, I, I get the sense that stage managers look at the material in a very different way than directors do, than singers do. So what are you looking for? It would slightly depend on what I'm doing on that production, as there are different stage management roles in the UK. Well, talk us through those first. Okay, right. I will try and make this really quick because it is really complicated. This is, is this the non-sexy part? Uh, it, it's, yeah, this is not sexy at all. So, in as I understand it, and correct me as I go if I'm getting it wrong, in America you have a stage manager who uh, will often call the show. Um, that stage manager will have one or two assistants who will run a wing, and there will sometimes be a production stage manager who will take on responsibilities of the production manager in terms of scheduling now as luck would have it we're having this conversation about opera which in the uk is about as close to the american model as we ever get um you have a stage manager who does not call the show uh, who is responsible for the running of the show during the performance especially in terms of safety so any show which involves a lot of moving parts automation uh, turn of the screw was a good example the stage manager will be on the deck keeping an eye on what's going on constantly uh, there will be a deputy stage manager whose job is exclusively to call the show they are a show caller and that is what i've spent the majority of my time doing as a theater stage manager and so that person is on a headset telling lights when to go Precisely. sound when to go yeah. Uh, etc. Yeah, and following the score. And they uh, will generally not have any other duties unless the show is very small scale. Uh, you then have assistants who in the opera world generally will run a wing. Um, and the major difference with stage management in the UK tends to be that stage managers deal with props, which is not a responsibility that stage managers in the US have. Now, in opera, that generally doesn't apply at a large enough scale because they have a props department. So it is kind of the closest thing, really, to the American system. So then uh, let's go back to my original yeah. question, right? So then if you are the deputy stage manager in England, you're calling the show, yeah. what are you looking for when you crack open the score for the first time? I am looking for um, my ability to call the show and that is my primary responsibility so i'm looking to get myself familiar with it as quickly as possible um now i read music uh i used to play the piano i have some idea of notation but not the kind of perfect pitch and familiarity that would enable me to score read like a musician would so i need to get as much familiarity as possible in opera often you're repeating a show which has been done before so there will be a recording um there's often a video recording if you're in somewhere like the opera house where 
uh, everything is organised towards reviving shows, then they will have a, usually a DVD recording with the calling track of the show. So you will be able to hear, if you wish, the previous deputy stage manager calling cues, which makes it much easier. Um, if there isn't a recording, if it's a new production, then I will try and get hold of a recording. Even if it's by another conductor, you can get a vague idea. I can at least familiarise myself with it. Uh, if it's completely new and there's absolutely no recordings at all, then I just have to learn it as we go. You're out of the business now, mm. here in 2016, having done 10 years in stage management. But why? I mean, what was the hustle like for you? And what was the ultimate decision to, to quit? The hustle was one of my favourite parts of it, which is the odd thing looking back on it now because I don't actually feel I miss it, but I do remember how enjoyable that side of it was, that you are, unlike nearly every other profession where you start off employed and then you become a freelance when you reach a certain level, you start off freelance and if you're particularly good and particularly um, lucky, you will end up with a full-time job. I mean, I got close a few times. I interviewed for, for jobs at the Opera House and never quite got them, um, which, and again, it's just the way things go. I mean, I look back on hundreds of decisions about jobs and any of them could have gone a different way and any of them could make, could have taken my career in a completely different direction. I was lucky enough to go to Glyndebourne very quickly after drama school, uh, which was luck, really. I mean, I was able to do the job, but um, it was one of those fortuitous things. They happened to be looking for someone like me. Uh, I happened to have some opera experience from something else, which a lot of people don't have when they leave drama school. And it worked out. Um, I think the, the, the part... The, the problem I realised towards the end of my time in theatre, and as you say, I am now out, I'm retraining to work in, uh, in teaching, I'm going to become a primary teacher, which is the equivalent of elementary teacher in America, uh, is that I just got sick of not having that sort of permanence. Um, what can be the most fun aspect of the job when you're young, that you're off and seeing new places? I mean, I got to do some fantastic things. I got to go all over my own country. I got to go to uh, San Francisco. I got to go to Toronto. I got to go to Seattle. I've been to New York. Uh, I've had some wonderful experiences. But when you start wanting other things in your life, family, when you start wanting to have children, it doesn't mean you have to stop, and a lot of people don't but you just have to start asking yourself what's most important in your life. And is there anything else that can make you happy? It can be brutal, to mm. say the least. Mm. You're training to be a primary school teacher. One of the other things you do is that you're an ice hockey referee. Yep. Here we are in Chicago. The Blackhawks wet the bed this season and crashed out of the Stanley Cup playoffs. What's going to happen next season? What's your prediction for the Hawks? For the Hawks? That's a hard one. It really depends on what they do in the next week, probably. Uh, they now have some cap space. They need a fourth defenseman. Uh, I am not a TVR fan. I, you know, um, I, I, I could see that happening in time, but you, you need that fourth defenseman to win now. I think they were brilliant in 2015 and got away with not really having a fourth defenceman and it came and bit them in 2016. Uh, I think it's a shame to lose Shaw, but that is hockey now. That's the way it works. That's the business of sports. I think if they can get that fourth defenseman, they, they will go on a run. They always do. Uh, I mean, the, 
you you would be foolish to discount the Blackhawks for the foreseeable future. Nick Kamen, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you. You're listening to Opera Box Score. Phones. May not work. Emergency water? Not a drop. Perfect. We all know where we're meeting if we're separated. The library. On Jones House. The bus stop. And I'll be waiting here wondering where you all are. Great. It sounds like we don't have a plan. Winging it is not an emergency plan. Make sure your kids know what to do during an emergency. Who to call, where to meet, what to pack. Visit ready.gov kids for tips and information. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. My name is Tom Thornton. And my name is Cindy Thornton. We're retired, and this is how we live United. We decided to volunteer with United Way at our community free health clinic. United Way is how we contribute, because we know our time and money are going to the right places. Judging by the thank yous we get at the clinic, I'd say we're doing the right thing with our retirement, too. We're Tom and Cindy Thornton. We volunteer at our community free health clinic. We don't just wear the shirt. We live it. Give. Advocate. Volunteer. Live United. Go to liveunited.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score, America's talk radio show about opera. Now I hear you say an opera ain't your thing, but get this. We tackle everything about opera and body slam it into a sports radio setup. The result? 60 minutes of in-depth analysis, outrageous opinions, and good, clean fun. You might even learn something. Opera class, sports radio crass. Join us for Opera Box Score Monday nights at 9 on WNUR. Chalk Talk on Opera Box Score with George Cedarquist, Oliver Camacho, and Giovanna Jacques. Back here on Opera Box Score on WNUR 89.3 FM. George Cedarquist, your host in the studio, 847 866 9687. That's 847-866-WNUR. We were just listening there to my interview with English stage manager Nick Heyman. He's all over Twitter, by the way, at Nick Heyman SM for stage management. Not what you might have thought SM stands for. Uh, Just a great interview that I did with him. It's a little out of date. It was back in June. We're still talking about hockey, but when do you not want to talk about hockey? Also with me in the studio tonight, our creative consultant, Oliver Camacho. I am here. Sorry about the delay, everybody. I know you guys were scared when you heard only George's voice, and you thought, is this going to be a show with just George? (laughs) They were scared. I was terrified, man. But one day I will do a solo show. I promise you that. You Uh, did a bunch of solo shows in Germany. and they they, There's definitely some nice things in those shows. But, uh, yes, I think the listener might have longed for Giovanna Jacques' sultry voice, you know. That was a pretty mixed compliment. <laughs> uh, buddy, it has been a long time since I've seen you. Yeah, how's, this, how's is, life? this is true. Well, I, life is fine, but I have, to, I have to have a bone. I have to have a bone. I have a bone to pick with you. Go on. Um, so this quiz last week was ridiculous. The, I mean, thank you, Kenny, for right. submitting the quiz. But the way it was set up, you said like that, the, you know, the possible points if you recognize the pianist. How are they supposed to recognize the pianist? How are you ever supposed to recognize the composer? Or, the, excuse me, the conductor? 
Um, that you can do. I, I feel you can recognize a conductor based on, especially when we're talking about opera, yeah. based on what their tendencies are in opera and what they're known for. But in piano transcriptions of opera, there's not that many people that are famous for playing them. And the only one that I knew was actually John Bayliss, who did that Puccini thing. From okay, so you didn't know who Glenn Gold was? I knew who he was, but I didn't. I would not be able to recognize his playing based on just that piece. Like if you had him playing Bach or something like that, or one of those pieces where you hear his hear him singing along, I'd be like, okay, that's Ben Gould because he does that. You know, it's so funny because to me, like trying to figure out the conductor just by listening is basically as impossible as figuring out the pianist. I still don't know how you guys do that. Well, the other thing is that there was so much not information given uh, in that quiz such as who wrote the piano transcription i think only you talk about it once and then somehow you conflated the idea that in rehearsals you're used to hearing the piano but you're not listening to piano transcriptions of arias in rehearsal you're listening to to orchestra reductions the, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay point taken yeah. on that yeah you are not listening to the melody you're listening to the harmony of course the the orchestral mm. side. yeah but what i'm even saying is that, like the things that you are playing were very specifically pieces that were written inspired by those opera arias or opera scenes they were not in any way related to the act what's actually on the page for the pianist to play in rehearsals so you're saying it's okay that tobias and mathen did so poorly i'm not giving the i mean there was there were some things that were a little bit obvious but for example the first piece the the madam butterfly it didn't get to the tune of Madame Butterfly until like the last ten yeah, seconds. But so, when it got to the tune, I mean, you knew, you yeah, knew but, what it was. But it was they weren't set up for success in that way. Like they had no idea that they were listening to transcriptions. Come on, that tune, everybody. Well, everybody except for Tobias, apparently. <laughs> anyway, I enjoyed the quiz, <laughs> but I was like screaming at my iPhone because I was. It was so frustrating <laughs> that maybe people who. Uh, you know, might know something about music and were excited to play along. Yeah. Had like no way of doing well on that quiz. I'm so. just glad one of our listeners put the quiz together. That's very nice. Thank you very much, Kenny. So I would have done better than those guys would have done, but um, I was still not would have gotten 10 points on my own. So one of these days we will develop the perfect opera quiz and it will be just the right amount of hardness and there'll be a real prize. Chalk Talk this week. Um, so, okay, so here's the deal. Edinburgh International Festival is going on right now, obviously, in Edinburgh, Scotland. And um, there's a production of Mozart's Così Fan Tutte, which is coming from the festival in Aix-en-Provence. And um, if you bought a ticket for this production, which uh, was in Edinburgh, you would get an email, which basically, I'm, and I'm quoting a little bit here, the article is also on our website, operaboxscore.squarespace.com. The email that you would get as a ticket buyer said, I want to share with you the very latest information we now have about this new production. It goes on to talk about where the production is set, which is in East Africa in the 1930s. And it says, uh, the email, through stark portrayals of the sexual and racial tensions of the time, this is a compelling production that tackles challenging issues. But due to the adult nature of some scenes, we would advise that this production is not suitable for children. And we will, of course, refund any tickets bought for young people. Now, the director, for, the director excuse me, Christopher Honoré, uh, was surprised by the 
the outburst, I think, from the festival, emailing all of its patrons, saying it was so shocking when he, who is French, really didn't see the big deal about it. He Where was, did you get this that he was shocked? I'm sorry. Like w- This is the article. It's it's on our website. Okay, is yeah, it from The okay, Guardian? I, I hear you. I that, so he responds to the... He must have been interviewed for that article okay. that they did. Yeah. Uh, And he says, I'm quite surprised, quote, that the festival felt the need to draw attention to the fact that my staging included nudity. Actually, all that is revealed, briefly and upstage, are the breasts of a woman who's putting on her makeup. That's it. I believe that more explicit productions have been presented on the operatic stage. So, Oliver, what is this reaction here from the festival? Are they just covering their own butts? Do they actually need to say this sort of thing? What's your take? Okay, from my understanding... Edinburgh Festival is offering refunds to people in advance of them even coming to the show. It's like, if you don't want to come to the show and you already bought your ticket, please get your money back now. Mm-hmm. I th- we talked about this on, on another show. Um, but I think for two things. One, to create marketing, to create buzz about this show that, oh, it's going to be so sh- it's going to be so shocking. Oh, so that was intentional. Yeah, that's going right. to be so shocking okay. that you won't want to, you don't want to see it. You're... Uh-huh. And then to perhaps get people who uh, are interested in the explicit mm-hmm. uh, to be interested to to buy tickets for the show, to right. release those tickets for right. people who might right. want to be shocked, you yeah. know. Yeah. Um, but and or to see Christopher Onore's work, or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it's not just the the breasts being exposed that make this production. That's pretty problem. minor in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, but that's not what's making this. Pro- uh, this production problematic. Right. It's the very terrible racism that is making this like a shocking production. And this yes. production that was already, I mean, it's this production they're borrowing or they're a co-production with another, I forget where it was already performed. Uh, Excellent Provence. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, it, it has a lot to, I mean, I'm not good at explaining these things. Um, that's like where Michael Rice usually comes in, mm-hmm. but, um, there's like something about when the tenor and the, when Ferrando and Guillermo, you know, leave for war, they come back as Albanians. Here they come back in blackface. In blackface, yeah. Yeah, yeah. as there's like, I guess sometime in, in Italy when there was the Ducati or call something like that. I don't know, like I'm really... This period in sort of... Like colonialism or exactly, something like that. Exactly, yeah. the 1930s when parts of Africa are, well all of Africa is being occupied by many different European colonists. Um, but yeah, dude, really, 2016, blackface, uh, no, you can't do that. Yeah, but, um, but I mean, there was a recent reaction to the Royal Opera House Guillaume Tell with, um, you know, the rape on the gang rape on stage, and exactly. like that made people very upset. And people left, and so I do think it, I don't think it's a bad idea to tell people, look, this is not going to be your, you know, bring your children to this production. This is going to be some heavy stuff. You know, it also happened at the Royal Opera House for their production of Lucia de Lammermoor, which was directed by Katie Mitchell, fantastic director, but the production had a very violent, very sexual um, take on it. Uh, let me ask you this, Oliver. What if operas were given, you know, movie ratings like PG, PG-13 or that sort of a thing? We do it for the movies. We do it for video games. Should we be doing it for opera? Yeah. Why not? I mean, I, I personally want people to be able to go to the show and have their expectations set correctly. Uh, I have been to some local opera companies who try to do a new production and maybe weren't the marketing materials didn't reach them in the right way mm-hmm. and showed up to a show that they thought they were going to see something like romantic and lovely. Right. And they got something like that was more of like a middle finger to you. you uh-huh, know? Uh-huh. And uh, I don't want people to go to the opera for the first time and thinking they're going to see like 
you know, Nicolas Cage and Cher and Moonstruck. And instead they get like this really austere, everybody's wearing black or everybody's naked. And, yeah. you know, uh, Zerlina is like letting Mazzetto take it from behind type of right, thing. You know? Right, right. So, but I feel like it's, it's, it's the audience's responsibility. Like, I got two kids. If I'm going to take them to see a show, I'm going to go do my homework and I'm going to check it out to see if it's uh, suitable or not. I directed a production of Hansel and Gretel this past summer. Yeah, I missed it. How did it go? Uh, it was fine. It was fun. And did you have yeah. Gretel taking it from behind? From Not the... at all. Oh, okay. No, but we did have a patron call us up and say, hey, look, uh, we, I want to bring my kids to see Hansel and Gretel. We saw it at the Met, and they were referring to the Richard Jones production, which is pretty bizarre. And they is that the like, one where, where Philip Langridge was the witch? Uh, yes, that's that's exactly the right. The late Philip Langridge. Um, and so they were saying, like, look... Can you just confirm that this is not going to be totally bizarre and weird? And, and our production was not. But like, there's a dad who's really doing his job. So I just don't know if 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 it's the opera company's responsibility to like stamp PG thirteen. I mean, who's who's to judge? How do you judge these things? How do they judge it in the movies? I mean, is there like there's a committee, an MPAA? What's the? You know, I don't watch yeah, movies. Yeah, so. I, I think it's based on like how much nipple you see and yeah. for how long and what language is used. Bad and, language. You know, yeah. And I mean, I maybe I've had thought about it long enough, but I, I have no problem yeah. with it. You know, yeah. like it just seems very pedantic to me. I, I don't know. I, I, it seems very we, limiting. So when you take your kids, you don't, you doesn't you'll go take them to the opera no matter what. You'll take them go. See no, no, no. I'm powder the da- her face like Thomas the Tank Engine. Like I'm the dad who like does his homework and, and checks up and you know calls someone or looks online. Now, if there's a bit of false advertising, which is what you were saying earlier, you know, if they're trying to hype this thing up, which is your take on the on the Edinburgh Festival bit uh, with uh, Cosi Van Tutte, uh, then what can you do? You know, you you can only you can only do your best. And obviously, we want kids to go to the opera, but there's operas that we know are going to be suitable for kids. And Cosi Van Tutte, it's nothing to do with this particular it's Mozart. production. That's the thing. I mean, can we hear the clip? Like, yeah, sure. Let's, Tell let's, us about this clip. So this is, um, this is for those of you who've never seen the opera, and I know that this opera's been bashed before on this show. Um, who? Point him out. I, I don't know. I, mean, I feel like you guys are always talking about Cosi Van Tutte being, when I'm not here, having like no plot or being the worst opera. Like who wants to see, oh, when did the cuts? There's was like, when you guys were talking about cuts two weeks oh, ago, yeah. like uh, who wants to see a full Cosi Van Tutte, you know? Like, this is my, uh, this is my favorite opera of all time. Yeah. And I think the music in the show is so gloriously beautiful mm. that I would listen to it every day. And there was a time in my life where I probably did listen to it every day. Uh, we're going to sample the, Enfant Terrible, Tedor Corensis's uh, Sony recording with Musica Eterna, uh, which has the cast headlined by Simone Kermes. Uh, this is the uh, quintet uh, in the first act, uh, Discrivermi Ogni Giorno. And again, you're listening on Opera Box Score on WNUR 89.3 FM.
that's lovely. I, you know, who I didn't say Cozy Fantute shouldn't be produced. That was some other clown on this show who was saying that. <laughs> I, I, but I disagree with you that like just because it's Mozart means it's suitable for everybody. I mean, abduction from the Seraglio, that's intense. That's not for kids. Why is it not for kids? Well, it, because it's about race. It's about racial conflict, which is basically what this production of, of Cozy has done. Now, it's one of the shorter Mozart operas, I will say that. It makes it a little more palatable but for kids. Yeah, well, I, I disagree with you. I think that the music is so fantastic in uh, Abduction and that they are, it is based on racial stereotypes uh, about like this exoticism of like whatever the Muslim mm-hmm. uh, religion. Right. But, but I mean, but then that would then you would have to say that Magic Flute is also not acceptable for kids because you have this like race, this very explicit racial thing about Manasatos being black. You know? Well, the problem with Magic Flute is that they pass the trials of fire and water, and then there's still like 25 minutes of the show left, and like that's when you want to go home, especially if kids. That's when you want to go home. So I, you can't make a blanket you don't, statement. You don't want to see the Papagena duet? Not really. That's not like the best part for the kids. No, Papagano's storyline is is for the children. Uh, yeah, no. If you're yeah, like I don't. I don't think you've ever seen Magic Flute, have you? Dude, I've <laughs> <laughs> I, I've worked on Magic Flute more times than okay. I can. Well, I think in general Mozart operas should be safe for children. Don Giovanni would be the only one I'd be curious about. Like, it's okay. Is this production going to be nasty or not? You know. Fair point. But I would never exactly. think that Cozy would get this. Uh, you know controversial you know um and I, I guess they did a production at new york city opera this year where it was also like blowjobs in the park or something like that you know Charming. so maybe now cozy is like the opera you should like warn your warn yourselves about before you go see it. even it should be so easy to like this show because the music is so so amazing it's opera box score we're gonna take a quick break with our psas we're right back with the two minute drill give us a call let us know what you're thinking 847-866-9687 stick around You're listening to Opera Box Score. My name is Ruth Rusi, and this is how I live United. I read to children as part of United Way's education program. It helps them create links between language and literacy and prepares them for a better academic future. I figure I have the time and they have the need. My name is Ruth Rusi. I help kids prepare to succeed in school. So I don't just wear the shirt, I live it. Give, advocate, volunteer. Live United. Go to liveunited.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. I'm in almost every school bus in classes. You see me around the neighborhood, and you tell me that I'm a pretty good kid. Well, I'm one out of every five children in America, and I'm struggling with hunger. Please visit feedingamerica.org today and find your local food bank for ways to help. Every dollar you donate helps provide eight meals for kids like me. We are Feeding America, brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. 
Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. Whether you're allergic to opera or you're a devoted fan, our show is for you. We tackle the week's opera headlines and body slam them into a sports radio setup. The result? 60 minutes of play-by-play analysis, exclusive interviews, and scandalous opinions. Plus the heroes, villains, and stats from this crazy art form that we love and love to complain about. Join us for Opera Box Score Monday nights at 9 on WNUR. This just in, the two-minute drill. Time now for the fastest headlines in opera news. Everything you need to know from the last week in two minutes tops. The Metropolitan Opera's general manager, Peter Gelb, has talked to the Wall Street Journal about the house's annual numbers, and they're not pretty. 72% of seats sold last season, donations down by $10 million to a total of $140 million, and $88.2 million in unfunded pension obligations. Boy, what's next? Broadway entrepreneur Roland Scahill has been arrested for defrauding investors of $165,000 for a proposed musical about the life of opera singer Kathleen Battle. He told investors he owned the rights to Battle's life story and signed a Hollywood star, Lupita Unyongo, to play her on stage and film, and it turns out it was all fake. Playing now underground in the Buenos Aires metro system are members of the opera Periferia Ensemble, rehearsing their upcoming production of Pergolesi's La Serva Padrona, which will take place on the city's H-Line. Next year, they plan to perform in the Madrid metro. The Neville Holt Opera Company, run by David Ross in Leicestershire, England, has submitted plans to build a permanent 400-seat opera house in a location where the company has been staging summer opera since 2013. This will expand the UK's country house opera scene, which currently consists of Glyndebourne, Garsington, Loughborough, two rival companies in Grange Park, and all of them functioning without state subsidy. Laura Bertan of Chicago, a young teenager, has wowed viewers and judges on America's Got Talent by performing opera pieces like Puccini's Nessun Dorma. But classical music experts have started to speak out against such performances, arguing that they are little more than a superficial mimicry that can be dangerous for young singers. Samuel Ramey, an operatic bass baritone, said that Ms. Bertan had no business singing the aria, and that's the two-minute drill. Over to you, Oliver Camacho. What uh, is appealing to you and interesting to you about all Well, I just want to drop in a little bit more minute in your two minutes. Uh, and this comes to us from our friend Kenny Roberts, who just posted on our Facebook page uh, the, just hand, the awards they just handed out at the, well, I guess it's a magazine, so they don't handle anything. But Gramophone Magazine, one of the mainstays of um, classical music journalism, uh, has awarded its 2016 Recording Awards. And the opera award goes to the production of, or the recording of Aida, which features Anya Harteros and Jonas Kaufmann, um, conducted by uh, Antonio Papano. And I listened to that recording, and Kaufmann sounds glorious in it. And the mezzo, who I didn't know before, uh, Ekaterina Semenchuk, hmm. is outstanding mm-hmm. as uh, Amneris. Uh, Anya Harteros, maybe, maybe not. She's an Aida. I mean, she has a lot of tricks up her sleeve, and she has very interesting phrasing. Uh, I don't know if the voice in the hall really could cut through that orchestration, but um, on recording, it sounds really good. Nice. Uh, the recital uh, award goes to um, uh, the French coloratura Sabine Devaille. I think they said Devaille. We need Giovanna right now. Uh, <laughs> for her recording called The Weber Sisters, which is um, dedicated to uh, the Mozart 
arias written for uh, Aloysia and Constanza and whoever the last one was, uh, Josefa, I think. Uh, Those are his three lovers. (laughs) His wife, his sister-in-law, and his sister-in-law, yeah. That's right. Uh, which I actually listened to that recording too. It's it's fantastic. Mm. Mm. And then a uh, solo vocal award goes to Veronique Jean's recital with with uh, pianist Susan Manoff, uh, a recording of French melody called Ne Air. Once again, something I listened to on Spotify, mm. and it's beautiful, really, really beautiful. It's like great dinner time music, mm. great like chopping the celery, making the mirepoix, drinking a glass of sherry while you're getting dinner ready. Oh, I thought music. you were saying like music while you're eating. Yeah, that too. I like listening to music while I'm cooking. That is incredibly yeah. tacky, by the way, to listen to music while you're eating dinner. Shut up. Really? Oh, my God. Don't tell me you do that. You listen to music while you eat dinner? I don't listen to vocal music usually, but I do listen, I do play music while I'm eating dinner. Oh, God. I was raised in a household where, like, that was just the epitome of tackiness, was to, like, select music while you were eating dinner. <laughs> <laughs> you're such a snob sometimes. <laughs> I am. This is true. This is very yeah. true. I am a real snob. Even my wife thinks I'm a snob. Yeah. Um, so from that list, uh, all that stuff, none of that surprises me. I, we probably one day we'll talk about all of these singers who come on America's Got Talent or whatever and sing opera and what an abomination it is and how disrespectful it is to people who put like their lives into right, right. studying this music and, um, instead like some kid who d- can't even sing an entire phrase gets up and sings Ness and Dorma and why Ness and Dorma? So that annoys me. Um, but um, well, let, let me let me tease this out for a little yeah. bit more. First of all, it's it is dangerous, right? Like you know, she's doing something. This this teen is doing something that people, as you say, train for years to do. Like she could hurt her voice. Yeah, she could. But I mean, until they get the Las Vegas gig, it's not like they're singing um, like a full schedule of it. They're not like you yeah, know with true. an orchestra that's, that's singing true. whole opera. You know, I mean, you listen to um, Jackie Ivanko. And I don't know what she sounds like now, but maybe yeah, she's really blowing right. her chords yeah. out. Yeah, she or, was in the yeah. article. Yeah. But I don't know why they picked Ness and Dorma. Like, hello, that wasn't written for a teenage girl. Like, it makes no sense. It doesn't, but it's just a melody that people recognize. You know, that's why it's like the It was like from the World Cup. From if you 2000 had half and... a brain, you could look at the opera repertoire and find something that would be suitable for a young teenage woman. There's, to there is so much, but it's not going to be something popular enough to be sung on America's Got Talent or Britain's Got Talent or maybe that's a pop Canada's quiz. Got that potential or whatever you know <laughs> that was very belittling oh. canada's got canada's great a whole actually. bunch of gusto john david pike comes from canada there you go yeah there you david go john samuel ramey he was really laid it down quote no she has no business singing the aria is what he said yeah she doesn't have a business singing the she probably doesn't know what it means so. yeah uh and well then there's this other soprano um helen hassinger created a crowdfunding page that would send Simon Cowell to the opera so that he can get better acquainted with the demands of the art form. <laughs> Burn. <laughs> Zing. Hey, Simon, you might learn mm-hmm. something, actually. Uh, you, this thing about the uh, opera company doing shows on the on the metro in Buenos Aires, mm-hmm. I'm so tired of that shtick. I can't even tell well, you, man. You know, I, I, I think that you're inconsistent i'm being so antagonistic today good, good. but the, every time i'm not on the show you guys talk about things that just drive me nuts like yeah. uh i think there was maybe three episodes ago you were talking about chenarentula done in an outreach in san diego right yeah. on the and, trolley stops yeah and, and i what, slammed it man i slammed okay. it and i stand by that okay um i i love that show i'm not saying it should be performed like on a trolley but i think it's a great outreach show because it's 
rhythmic and it's there's like a recognizable story and if you get good singers it could actually be very exciting to hear some of the those things sung in person you know i mean a little kid hearing non Mesa for the first time would be amazing if i was like a little gay five-year-old yeah um and it heard like a really which you basically are <laughs> <laughs> but see i have no problem with the outreach thing i'm all i'm all for outreach i just don't get the shtick and it is a shtick of like we're gonna do it on public transport why? Yeah, well, to make it free uh, and to make it... Uh, so do it in a playground. Yeah, I mean, but no, to, to give it to audiences that weren't expecting it. And it's such... I mean, it's a it's a, a free area where many different levels of class come come to meet, you know, at least mm-hmm. in Chicago mm-hmm. um, there are, and in New York, like everybody rides the train. Right. You know, maybe right. in other cities if that's not the case but if you go to europe like everybody rides the tube you know right right so it is a place where hmm. you might actually find your audience you know now you're getting onto something here okay and maybe this is for another show but this idea of like how can opera appeal to all levels of income all sorts of backgrounds and hey what if public transport was kind of the intersection but that would only be in a big city yeah. san diego mm, yeah grand park music they're, festival they're dri- san diego they're driving the bmw you know they they have done oratorio and opera in concert version yeah and this is a park that has five million people coming through it every yeah. summer or more yeah. you know yeah. and the, i mean i used to work there i mean mm-hmm. i still sort of work there mm-hmm. um and people walk by like at three o'clock in the afternoon while i'm getting the park set up and they say mm-hmm. what's happening tonight i was like oh we're doing berlioz's damnation of faust you know? yeah, yeah and of course they get this look at this like oh you know, but they might stick around for it. And who knows who might fall in love with Berlioz totally. <laughs> as a result of hearing it for free in the park, you know? Totally. Well, hey. They should may- be doing Chen Rensel instead. But. Maybe, I, maybe I stand corrected here. Maybe I need to do. No, but I don't, I, don't think that the, I don't think the train is necessarily the right place because it's so noisy yeah. and it limits yeah. you to whatever yeah. interval is, you know, there based on the train schedule. So that's, that's problematic. But there's got to be another arena. Uh, where there are that many levels of class, socioeconomic and economic class, like that are sharing a space where you can do free opera or free free art, you know? You're listening to Opera Box Score 89.3. Maybe FM. the radio. <laughs> Let us know. Let Maybe us know the internet. Is there any free opera on the internet? <laughs> it's funny you should ask. Let us know what you're thinking about where um, opera could intersect with all different levels of class. Where could it infect you like Zika, things. you know? Just like that. Did yeah. you watch the Olympics, by the I way? I watched so much. I mean, I have Olympics withdrawal already. Like, actually, one of the reasons why I'm late today is because I was trying to catch up on some okay, of my recordings. Here, now we go. I was watching just a little bit of the men's diving, you know, because I have to be up with our American team, keep, you know. Keep it clean, Nothing buddy. to do keep with it clean. the Thank uniform. You. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I just... Uh, I, I cannot wait for another four years to see this stuff again. See, I, I really get into Olympus. I thought this was a total bust. What? I was so sick of Michael Phelps. You know, I just, oh man, that just makes me. <laughs> you say things that are so ridiculous. What do you mean? That's like he's like an American hero. He's kind of a jerk. He's a jerk. Okay. Yes, he's kind All of right, a jerk. All right, you heard it here, everybody. You know, uh, the, and I'm not the first person. The opinions to say that. of George Quest do not you necessarily know? reflect the opinions of Opera Box no, Score no, or its w- creative consultants. I will say, winning 23, 23 gold medals, that is incredible. That is that is truly incredible. However, it isn't a sport where like you get a hundred meter this, hundred meter that, two hundred meter this, two hundred meter that. So you can really rack them up. Yeah. Very very quickly. I'm not trying to take that athleticism away from him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, uh, I don't know. Are you saying that he won too many awards? I'm saying that it's, it's time for him to go. It is. He's, yeah, he's, I'm sure he's not coming back. Good. 
But I mean, that that is the feat that's amazing. It's like yeah. there are all these different sports that, yes, require the same basic skill, but not everybody has that skill for that distance, you know, or like can do all those different strokes. It's like a complete singer. Like, you know, we have somebody like uh, Joan Sutherland or mm-hmm. not. That's a bad example. Maria Callas, I should say yeah. instead, who could do all the licks you know, earlier in her career, could sing all the notes, could right. go fast, could go loud, could go high, could go into chest voice, you know. And there are some singers who only do certain things well, and they do those things very, very well. But then you get a singer who's like absolute in, in her command of, and then who are dramatic on top of that, you know. So I feel like Simone Biles, Michael Phelps are like this, like where they've acquired mm. so many different skills and mm. built, and really built them, you know. And they deserve to be celebrated. Did you watch the opening ceremonies? I watched most of it, yeah. What was the music like? Was it all samba music? They had a bunch of different things. Yeah, it was a there was there was like what do you call this? Uh, you know, not samba, but conga. No, not conga. Carnival. Uh, <laughs> um, bossa nova. That's what I'm like. Bossa yeah. nova. Samba. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bossa nova. Isn't that a like Brazilian steakhouse? Uh, that's uh, maybe a great name. Fogo de Show. Uh, yeah. Do you know I went to Fogo de Show? I can't even say it, but I went there right when it opened. And, I've never eaten so much meat in, in one time. That's what people do, though. They eat meat. It yeah. was, it was kind of yeah. gross. It was yeah. kind of gross. Yeah, and you're yeah. very small. For people who don't know, George weighs like about 90 pounds dripping wet. I am pint so. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, well, let's, uh, we got a few more minutes on the uh, two-minute drill here. What about these stats from the Metropolitan Opera? They're selling 72% of their seats, eight, $88 million in unfunded pension obligations, donations down to $140 million. What, what's going on here? Um, they well, we. This is a long conversation. I don't think we can have it in five minutes. But people need to start really thinking about how to market and how to um, present what we do with more integrity. Yeah, we're trying, I think, too hard to capture audiences that we don't really want, uh, and we're disrespecting what we actually do and not, you know, we don't show the pride in our work and, and what we've spent our lives, you know, creating because now everybody's trying to do all this like crazy synergy with other art forms and stuff like that. And yes, I, I appreciate the effort, but let's really just focus on making good. I sound like Kevin keys, uh, circa 1997. Um, let's focus (laughs) that that's very inside opera. Um, let's focus on doing great shows, developing great singers, you know, having using what resources we do have uh, to the best of our abilities, hiring great people, great directors, great set designers. Let's just make the opera good. We're going to wrap this show up right after this. It's Good Call, Bad Call. Good Call, Bad Call on Opera Box Score. Well, it's been an unusual show, Oliver. Yes, we got there. We have a good call, though. So Okay, well, why don't you take it away? Yeah, so um, the Chicago Fringe Festival is presenting its first opera uh, this year, and it, it couldn't have not have been better timed. We are in this kind of um, time of the year uh, where there's not a lot happening. It's before all, all the arts organizations begin to ramp up their fall seasons uh, around Labor Day. So uh, Chicago Fringe Festival is presenting uh, the Hilliard and Barese Filthy Habit. Uh, Filthy Habit was originally premiered in 2004 and has been 
uh, reproduced a couple of times, and now it's making its way to Chicago. And the libretto, once again, by uh, Matt Berezi, who is a friend of the show, one-time analyst and composer Peter Hilliard. So that's coming up Labor Day weekend at the Chicago Fringe Festival. Performances are on Saturday the 3rd, Monday the 5th, and Friday the 9th. We highly recommend. Third Eye, third eye Ensemble. Well, that's it for tonight's show. Our announcer is Norm Waddell. Visit Norm on the web at voxershorts.com. That's V-O-X-E-R-S-H-O-R-T-S dot com. For WNUR, our programming director is Nick Anderson, and the general manager is Brock Stussy. Our theme song is Vodka Inferno, written and performed by the Diablo Swing Orchestra. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter by searching for Opera Box Score. Be sure to like our Facebook page, and if you know people who would enjoy our show, Help us spread the word by sharing our posts on our website, operaboxscore.squarespace.com. You can stream archived episodes and learn more about our team. And you can always email us at operaboxscore at gmail.com. You can also subscribe to the podcast version of our show on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Leave a review and let us know what you want to hear more of on our show. We're back live on Monday, 29 August at 9 p.m. Central. The creative consultant for Opera Box Score is Oliver Camacho. I'm George Cedarquist asking you to continue the conversation about opera. Street Beat is up next. You're listening to WNUR-FM Evanston, Chicago, Chicago Sound Experiment. Oliver, final thought. Well, I just want you guys to know that I'm the one who can, who is managing our Facebook page, and uh, I've been uh, as, as disseminating, disseminating, emanating, disseminating our ads uh, all over the world, um, and I, we have some fans in Turkey. And if you really listen to the show, will you please comment on the Facebook posts? I'm really curious to know if you're listening. Ciao.